Hi, everybody. Welcome to Pod Be With You. I'm Aaron from the First Congregational Church of Dundee. And this is Paige from the Congregational Church of Batavia. And we are back after a long week off. Yes. I don't know. Maybe it felt long to you. It felt quick to us. It, it did. I, it was it was vacation time for me, so it felt really quick. I, I believe that. And yeah. thank you for that time. We're going to do our best to, to go weekly here, just yep. knowing that there's going to be some exceptions to that because life yeah. as it happens. But we're back with you today with a Bible study, another twofer, and preaching on different passages. Both, but both from the lectionary. Yeah, both from the lectionary. Mine is the gospel reading. Yours is the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible reading. Yeah, absolutely. We can't remember who went first last time. Because we're getting old. <laughs> That's not the reason I was going to give. But <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, you're I'm not happy wrong. to lean into that. Fair but. enough. Um, so we're, we're just going to flip a coin knowing we're going to get it wrong. Yep. And uh, we'll go first with what we're preaching on here at FCC Dundee, which is the gospel reading. Last week, we had a gospel reading from Luke, Luke 18. It was the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. Oh, that's such a weird one. It really is. It, oh, man, that, that, one is, that one is a difficult one to preach in a lot of different ways. But I'm sure you nailed it. <laughs> Well, I, I'm never going to be the judge of that, but I think it was, we talked a lot, right, about what prayer was. The, yeah. it, Jesus told him this parable about how to pray always and not to lose heart, right? Yeah. Um, the author of the Gospel of Luke does uh, a little bit of setup for these parables and kind of tells you what they're going to be about before you hear. And so that was about an unjust judge who was the worst mm-hmm. and this persistent widow who is the latest in a whole string of unlikely exemplars of faith, the people that right. Jesus is telling his followers to be like. So we talked a lot about prayer, what it is, what it isn't. Um, how does prayer, do we use prayer as a, another way of trying to change God or does prayer right. change us? Yeah. Um, it, I don't think it's as simple as be like this widow was to this judge wearing him down. No. Um, because I don't think God is like that judge. And that's that's exactly the point. Yes, you, you, we have to. Uh, parables are that way, right? They're not one to one analogies. It's it's not an analog there, and so you're exactly right. And and it, I don't think Jesus wanted us to think of God as that judge. There's there's a lot going on there that's different. Um, but I like that language of not losing heart, mm. um, and and not the persistence so much as the faithfulness and the hope. Maybe even that lies in what the widow is, the, the 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 widow is 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 embodying yes. when she prays and when she goes to the judge. That's it. One commentator spoke of this woman as embodying persistence mm. and resistance, mm. right? So persistence, this never giving up, or I should say, persistence of always showing up, still showing yep. up, right? And then the resistance of not giving up, right? Not taking injustice for an answer. Yeah. Right. I added a couple more to it, if you'll allow a little bit of wordplay, which I know you will. I always will. We're already into it. So, yeah. so the persistence and resistance and also insistence, right? Nice. In the, in the face of, she would not settle for how the judge saw her. Mm-hmm. And she would, she would continue to insist that she was a beloved child of God and worth it and yeah. worth justice and um, would not allow others, would not accept, right, others death to define her yeah. or determine her life, right. right? And so we talked about prayer as a form of persistence and resistance and insistence. And because I can't stop at three, there was one more and subsistence. Okay. Right. It was a way of 
feeding us and nourishing us in the meantime. Nice. While we are. So prayer is all these things. It's a way of showing up. It's a way of not giving up. Yep. It's a way of insisting upon our central identity as a beloved child of God. Yep. And it's a way of sustaining us through, you know, it's a way of sustaining us as we work to not lose heart, yeah. which is the other part of that. Yeah, absolutely. So this week, then we have, we pick up literally in the next verse yep. with another parable about, again, two types. But, and like the previous one, Jesus plays with types and ways of being but also with his listeners' expectations mm-hmm. about who is where in the story and where God is in the story. And it's another really tangled web of expectations. And it is a really wonderful way, though, of getting at some important things. Mm-hmm. And in six verses, we have some truths here that can just break us open. Yeah. Right? So very quickly, Jesus also told this parable. This is Luke 18, 9 through 14. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. So again, at the very beginning, we get get who this is for. And we get what the parable is about because we get what spiritual challenge Jesus is addressing. Mm -hmm. Those who trusting in yourself for righteousness and regarding others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. (laughs) One of the best prayers in all of, no, I mean, just one of the most, (laughs) well, okay. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Oh, that's so Lucan. So uh, right, Lucan, That's yes. just at the very heart of it. And I think one of the things when I come upon this particular parable that I always have to start with and remind myself of when I get this is we have in in our particular uh, Christian Christianity of the 21st century um, we have this uh, vision of Pharisees as the bad guy mm. and we've had that forever because because Jesus often uses them as a foil yes right but what we have to understand is when Jesus is talking to the crowds the Pharisees are the good guys. Right. He's not. So he's playing like you said, he's very purposely playing with expectations here. Right. The Pharisees are the ones who are doing things right and they're righteous and they're good and they they are engaged in 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 religious life in a really proper and and powerful way. And um, and it's the tax collectors that are just trash. Mm. And and. I have to always remind myself that about Pharisees. I have to put aside yes. my expectations and my understanding of where of who they are and what they are, because even that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important to be able to enter into this parable, hearing it as Jesus's listeners might have. Yes, you're exactly right. And the Pharisees, as you said, were righteous. They were pious. They were very, very good. Yeah. And God loved them. Yes, right? exactly. And, and 
in some ways they remind me, I'll skip ahead a little bit, but in some ways the Pharisees here remind me of the parable of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commandments. Mm-hmm. He says, I know the commandments and I've kept these commandments my whole life. And Jesus looking at him, loved him yes. and said, you lack one thing, sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor and come and follow me. And the man went away grieving because he had many possessions, right? right? He was doing very well. He was a really good person. Yeah. And he was, and Jesus loved him for it. And yet he was stuck there. Yeah. Or at least on that day, he was stuck there. And I think that's the, what's happening here with the Pharisee. You do have a very good person. Who's trying. Who's trying yeah. and frankly is working really hard and doing the right things mm-hmm. and is a good person. So you're right. It's important to not say, oh, those Pharisees. Jesus is accusing them of corruption and hypocrisy and abusing that there there's these really abusive elites and no they're not they're no. actually really very good right not filtered through our you know sometimes warped view as you said of Pharisees being the bad guys just cuz Jesus does use them as a foil right? right and also to your point just like the unjust what unjust judge was last week in his own way the worst the tax collector here is just is the worst. Yeah. Right. Another reminder. I mean, tax collectors were sometimes Jews, sometimes foreigners. They were middlemen. They were extorters. They were those who would collect the taxes on behalf of occupying Rome, but also made a lot more money off that because they would extort. They would take mm-hmm. more than was needed, only pass some along and keep the rest for themselves. They would be some, seen as collaborators. Uh, you know that that's really that language of yeah. yeah. I mean, betrayers, especially if they were people against the occupier. Exactly. For your own benefit. And so, yeah, this is the worst of the worst. And again, I I think we we forget that because our favorite, we have favorite tax collectors that show up in the Jesus stories regularly as decent guys. Right. You know, and uh, there's Zacchaeus. uh, There's it was it Matthew that was the tax collector Uh, that is one of the disciples. Right. And so we kind of we we kind of lose. We get some reformed and reforming tax collectors. (laughs) Exactly. And so. But we need to enter into the story with all of that sort of stripped away. Yeah. I. It's really easy for me to start to think of colla- uh, as tax collectors as being sort of a, well, it's a hard scrabble, but you got to make a living. It's a thankless job. But listen, not all of us get to make a job in the respectable ways. But, you know, sort of the Aladdin thing where it's like, well, yeah, it's a crime, <laughs> but it's, you know, but it's in this roguish, charming way of, of you know, everybody's got to do something to make ends meet. And it's really about the system, not about, no, you no. are the system. Yeah. And as one commentator reminded us, by definition, this tax collector is wealthy, right? So he is someone who is living high off of the money that he extorted from vulnerable people. He has caused suffering. And so the Pharisee is righteous and knows it. And the tax collector is the worst and knows it. And they're both right about themselves. The difference is how they approach God. Mm -hmm. And the tax collector... It is this picture of abject surrender, begging for mercy, beating his chest in this show of contrition, won't even lift his eyes to heaven. I wouldn't dare even pretend to look God in the face, just begging for mercy, knowing that he is helpless to save himself. Mm-hmm. 
Now, we don't know what happens after this. Is this the beginning of a life change? Is this a, is this a one-off? Does he have to come back the next day? and say the same thing again because he doesn't actually change. What We don't know where the story goes from here. All Jesus says is he went down to his home justified. Justified meaning restored to right standing in God's eyes. Right. And in contrast, this Pharisee did not go home in right standing with God because he used this rather public prayer time to start playing the comparison game. Yep. Apparently, his prayer was about... Uh, what did someone put it? Couching our spiritual pride in terms of thanksgiving. That's once God, thank Gosh. you. I thank you. I am so awesome. And I thank you for it. Yeah. Right? Um, and if you think that doesn't happen. Then oh, my gosh. It, you're not paying attention. It's the prayerful humble brag. It it's is. Very it's easy. The, yeah. And, and we've all. God, I thank into. you for how hard I've worked to get this. And God, I thank you for all the talent you've given me that makes me so amazing. <laughs> and God, I'm just I've worked so hard to be the par- kind of person you called me to be. And I'm kind yes. of crushing it this week. Yeah. And God, I thank you for it. Yeah. Um, it is. Yeah. It's so easy. And oh, by the way, and I look around me and oof. These other people, man, they, they really, I'm so glad it's me and you, God, because I'm really think, you know, you didn't make me like these other, thanks for not making me like these other people because they're the worst. Am I right? Am I right, God? And seems to be using this prayer time to give God his resume. Yeah. Yeah. And you know the stuff that I did this, right? Right? Yeah. So, and like, I fast, like I give, I'm doing all the right stuff. And uh, wow, not these guys. Am I right though? This he he is his prayer is about this comparison game and about this right. hierarchy and to kind of skip to the end there is uh a, another commentator put it this way the way in which the unjust judge and the pharisee in these two parables while they are different in so many ways the way that they are the same is that they're both locked into systems I'm quoting here of Sharon Ringa or Ringe, I don't know how to say her last name, locked into the systems of social and economic competition. Yes. And locked into the hierarchy of honor and prestige that favor the domination classes. Yeah. And there's a, so you They're have, stuck. They are stuck in that. And, yep. and the stuckness, um, the irony, the tragic irony of that stuckness, right, is that the kind of stuckness that that Pharisee is, is the kind that keeps him from seeing that he's stuck. It's the kind of challenge that makes him think he doesn't have a challenge. Yeah. Right? Makes him well, think he's made it, right? And his spiritual challenge is not knowing that he that's not how it works. Both of them are really bought into this is how it works. You work you climb the ladder, you do better, you accumulate power, and that makes you better and different from and separate from those other people. Yeah. And both of these parables subvert and collapse that entire way of thinking that entire concept that entire construction that way of being in the world where there is a hierarchy and your power makes you more or better or different or separate man if we took that seriously if we took these parables seriously america the way it is run right now would have to i mean seriously it wouldn't be run the way it wouldn't be and maybe 
Um, as a friend of mine uh, was uh, pointing out on a Facebook post earlier this week, and he was quoting somebody I know not who. It may have been Amy Jill Levine because, you know, she's awesome. And why not? And why not? And when in doubt, just go read all, Amy Jill Levine, just read all just of her read stuff everything and, and check for this quote. Yeah, And you'll be better off even if you don't find even the if quote, you don't you'll find be it. better off. But really yeah. saying that when, when Jesus is talking about this sort of apocalyptic stuff in um, the new heavens and the new earth and those things that are going to happen, he's not necessarily talking about stuff at the end of time. He's talking about switching up the systems that they are living under at the moment. Yes. And that's, ex- that's exactly what he's pointing at here in this parable. And he's talking about all the things that work on us, the way these systems set up to take even good people yeah. and warp them into ways that they are set against. Yeah other people and separate from and think that they're lording their power over other people. So piety and ethics, Mm -hmm. right? That's one way you've talked about the gospel of Luke is this insistence upon justice and the leveling of the hierarchies, right? Right. And the, the mountains made low and the, and the, the valleys shall be lifted on the rough places plain, right? This, there is, this will be made low. There's this egalitarian insistence on justice and, and our mutuality in this, right? One of the great myths that this subverts is that we are again this I, this self madeness. We, mm-hmm. we skip the whole rant about because nobody's ever been self made ever, right? It's the way that in which people start to see themselves as separate and different and other, yeah, and better and more powerful and all. And instead of more famously, we know this idiom. I did a little bit of uh, research on this. And nobody seems to know where it actually started. There's some different myths. But the phrase is, there but for the grace of God go I. Yep. And I think that with with accumulated power, sometimes the illusion can be reinforced that we truly are different. Mm-hmm. We truly are exceptional, right? Those people really are. If I'm, if I'm self-made, then other people that aren't doing this just didn't make themselves. And they should just make themselves the way I made They're myself. They're not trying and all hard. That, right? It's on them. Yeah. Not only did I get credit for my stuff, but they get the blame for their stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we can be separate and other indifferent. With spiritual maturity, I think, with growth, with wisdom, with insight, with social awareness, frankly, with self-awareness, the more we realize how not different we are. Right. Which is to say there's increasing sense of how much the same we are and how much of what we take credit for in terms of being awesome, where our righteousness slips over into self-righteousness, is actually out of our control and not to our credit. Yep. And and then we find ourselves stuck Mm -hmm. in the same kind of stuck where, like the Pharisees, where... We really are perhaps doing wonderful, wonderful things, living wonderfully, doing good, being good, and have reached a place of stuckness where we can't see what's next for us. Mm-hmm. Mm. The word privilege comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, you it, know, oh, that, my goodness. Yeah. Exactly. That, this, is, this, is, this is the language that we're speaking here, right? Yeah. The, un, the inability to see the ways in which... The system in which we live and breathe and have our being, <laughs> mm-hmm. to misquote and the Bible, us, yes, and that exactly. has made us um, actually um, actually us propels us. Yeah. yeah, keeps us from being able to see ourselves as we really are and others as they really are. Mm. It allows us to really look down on other people um, and 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 not extend to them the same humanity that we ourselves take for granted. To the extent to which we 
so often think we know the experiences of other people better than they do, which is the height of arrogance and spiritual myopia, right? Yeah. Well, that aside for a second, the, because that is all true, um, there is also this sense of, right, the sense of challenge, I think. One of the things we've said before is talk about people or talk about churches. You can say you have churches with challenges. There are two types of churches, right? Churches with challenges and then churches that are in denial about having challenges, right? <laughs> and I think that's the same for people. There are people with challenges that are people in denial about their, say, spiritual challenges. Right. And you look at this here. Uh, they both have spiritual challenges. Mm-hmm. It's the tax collector who knows what they are and is honest about addressing them. Yeah. And it is the Pharisee who has a, who can't even see what his spiritual challenge is. But if I were to ask, if I were the spiritual coach, right, if I of this Pharisee, I would be asking first of all, how's that working for you? Yeah. Isn't it lonely at the top, right? Isn't No, but also why did you feel the need to give God your resume in this prayer? You think that's you think God doesn't know, you think I, what are you looking for? Mm-hmm. You're looking for ap- from affirmation. You're looking for another I love you. Um, why, why did you need to come here and make this public prayer time all about the comparison game? Yeah. Why do you need to, why are you leveraging where these people are yeah. to feel better about yourself? Yeah. What kind of, frankly, insecurity in you is driving your need for affirmation from God and feeling better than other people? Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this this Pharisee has some significant spiritual challenges for all his goodness. Yeah. Has some significant spiritual challenges that uh, he can't see. Right. It doesn't mean that he's wrong that these other people, it doesn't mean he's wrong about these other people in the sense that these other people are doing wrong things, Mm -hmm. but it is keeping him from seeing his own, let alone being in relationship with them, let alone seeing them as equals and other beloved children of God and people that he can be, you know, all of that. And that's so important. I'm, I'm, while we're having this conversation, I'm reminded of, oh my gosh, uh, these PSAs that they used to run on the year when I was a kid yeah. during cartoon time. And they would tell you something or other about this, that, or the other thing. And then they'd end with, and knowing is half the battle, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and knowing is half the battle. Mm. Because in, in this case, knowing that that there is something wrong, that there is a challenge, is exactly it. That's yeah. the place where you begin the journey into... The first step of every 12-step Exactly, right? right? You have to admit that there's a problem in order to... That you are helpless yep. to fix yourself. Yeah, right? in order to, to take those first steps in the direction of, of, of where you need to go, of the journey, where the journey needs to take you. Um, but yeah, while you were saying that, that's all I could think of. Knowing is half the battle. <laughs> The more you know. The more you know. Little rainbow flash across our podcast screen right now. (laughs) But you talk about the latest, uh, the the next in the line of unlikely exemplars of faith that Jesus is telling his followers to be like. He's telling them to be like this tax collector who is completely honest and humbled and surrenders before God and is begging for the mercy of God rather than the Pharisee who thinks he's got it made. Yeah. Right? Here's an example that I, well, I've talked with somebody from the national setting who was making his way through the other week, and he gave me some updated statistics on United Church of Christ churches, our denomination. And he said, and I believe that the statistic is uh, worship attendance, weekend worship attendance. And he said 50% of our churches 
are 50 people or fewer. Yep. Uh, that does not surprise me. And 80% are 100 people or fewer. Yep. Um, I don't know that I thought of this church as being a top 20%, you know, church in terms of attendance as one one flawed, right? <laughs> as one deeply limited but real uh, gauge of engagement and vitality. But we are. But in hearing that news, I went through this whole spiritual roller coaster that was like this, right? First of all, the first thing I felt was, oh, great, we're doing awesome, which is a weird thing to think first, but honestly. And, and then I went, oh, my God, some version of thank God we're not like those other churches, right? I, literally the prayer from like, like there's a thank God <laughs> I'm not like other people. We must be doing something right. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, thank God we're, we're, thank God we're such an awesome church, right? The sense that we somehow made ourselves and those other churches that they were only more awesome like us would be like, right? Okay, absurd, right? But that's real. The sense of, wow, we're doing great. We must be doing something right. I must be awesome as a pastor. We must be, right? Um, and then not joy at other churches being in such a difficult place, per se, but uh, not necessarily. My first thought was not incredible compassion for these churches. It was, oh, good, thank God. Well, at least we're safe compared mm-hmm. to that. Or we're doing better than we think we are. Or it was a very odd <laughs> series of things mm-hmm. to think about, right? And then I go, why would I want, like the Pharisee, I, I would ask myself, why would I want to know that? Why would I take security in knowing that most churches were smaller than us? What does it even mean that they're smaller? It doesn't mean that, right? It, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Is it an irrelevant thing? What does this mean for us? This actually doesn't have a ton to do with us whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But here now we can sort of place our, what I found is in the comparison game, it gave me a place to put ourselves in the hierarchy that I found like I was I found I was still clinging to in my head. Yes. About where churches were on the ladder in the hierarchy. Yep. And once again, this and so, what insecurity is driving me such that I such that it would make me feel better to think that we are on the top of a hierarchy, right? Wow, right? Yeah. To hear for to take that whole journey. What do we do with that information? But like this story, it is so revealing. Don't you it hate it when you? Up, don't really you hate do. it when you have those moments where where your life parallels a, a a parable that Jesus is telling, and people say that the Bible is not relevant. They <laughs> <laughs> do. Thank oh. God we're not like those people. Oh my gosh, it <laughs> happens so often, and and. And uh, yeah, talk about fo- putting your finger right on yep. the spiritual challenge. And this yep. is religious folks. It's non-religious folks. It yeah. is, it is the, our, our political tribalness, our cultural mm-hmm. tribalness. It is everybody. You know, it's the it's the yard sign in my neighborhood that says, "I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not a Democrat." You know, it's the <laughs> yeah. It's, all right. Well, it's not the worst, but um, but it's it's every <laughs> it is. Every single way we find to say, thank God I'm not like other people. Yeah. And it it is that all the illusions we buy into that say we are separate and different and better. Yeah. And they're all illusions. Yep. And none of this is real. None of the hierarchy. None of this competition. None of this 
It can't. Now, it can't protect us. No. It cannot. These things that that we have built, and we think are going to protect us from the the vicissitudes of life, or what, <laughs> or whatever. You're right. They're not real. And it's moments like that where you can look at it and go, "Dang." And how to find the real. Yeah. And how much of that is still running me? Yeah. How you know how much of that how much of my inner world was made by that made in that image yes, yes. how much needs to be deconstructed in me yeah um mm, i could go on and on but the rest of the stories i'll save for the sermon on on sunday because there are just endless examples yeah. i think it's one of those things that when you when you see it it's hard to stop seeing it yep but i think the challenge for us i'll put it this way i know the challenge for me is when I start getting in a place that is judgy and self-righteous about other people, it is far more a signal that there's something going on in me. I know it's far more about me mm-hmm. than it is about them. Mm-hmm. So what's going on in me such that I would need to do that and that I would find that, that I would, right? And and how can I challenge myself to, <laughs> how can I get closer to the real truth, which is, and even this is mildly problematic, but even closer is a there, but for the grace of God, go I Mm -hmm. recognize that we are actually in this together and far more similar than we are Mm -hmm. different. So let's get over it. Yeah. Anything else on that? No, just, just, this is, this is just one of those. Every time I bump up against this particular lesson Mm. in, in, in the lectionary, I go, wow. Uh, because exactly. It, it, it's one of those that it's, it's, it's too close to the bone. <laughs> mm. It is. Just a little bit. Brilliant, brilliant teaching tool. Yeah. Right. This kind of, um, yeah. one uh, commentator described the parables as fishing lures, <laughs> right? They're bright, they're shiny, they're fancy, and they've got a giant hook in the middle. Yep, that's, absolutely. That's, that's going to catch you. Yeah. Right. And 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 they still work, man. They mm-hmm. they're two thousand years old, and they they still get you. They get me every time. Yeah, um, amazing. Yeah, amazing. You've got something that's even older. It, well, it, and it depends on who you're paying attention to, uh, just how old it actually is. Okay. Uh, we're, well, coming, we're coming out of the minor prophets. Ooh, the minor prophets. Gotta love that. Um, so called, we should say, because. The books are shorter, not because not because they they're are less, less important. important. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and we're coming out of the book of Joel, um, which uh, either depending on where you fall, I was reading some fun commentaries about this too, uh, because I have to admit, I only ever go to Joel for this passage. I know nothing about the book. Yeah, I know this passage from Joel. End of list. End of list. Probably. And so, um, and so, I thought, you know, maybe it would behoove me before I preach this this Sunday to actually do a little bit of research into the book of Joel. And either you realize this is being recorded, and you could have just said, "Well, as we all know, as about we all the book, know about, about the book, book of, Joel. of Joel." And yeah. of course, as I remember from <laughs> seminary. We all know. Yeah, oh, so, oh, can we can we edit that out? Yeah, when we'll, you, oh, yeah, we'll, yeah, t- we'll yeah. put that in in post. So start over. <laughs> so um, either um, either Joel is one of the first of the prophets of Israel to mm. ever be recorded, 
or he's one of the latest. Mm. Um, and it's really hard to place where he is talking about because he's not like a lot of the prophets. You can you can place specifically Excuse based me. on their historic context. Based right. on the historic context. Yeah. This Joel was wasn't King that was way. No, yeah. There's no particular enemy. There's no particular conflict that's going on. What what Joel is addressing is a famine, mm. which there are plenty of those throughout the history of the the ancient Near yeah, East. Like you're going to have to be right? more specific. You're going to yeah. have to. So it could it could be anything. He's but he's talking about a really specific, difficult time in the lives of the people when they are dealing with a famine and um, a locust. Uh, infestation yeah, okay. uh, that's that's killing their crops. So the people are hungry, they're not able to eat, um, and they're having some real troubles. And so the first part of Joel is this lament about what's going on. Again, one of those pieces of scripture that we as Christians don't take very seriously. Mm. Uh, lament is not something we're particularly good at or comfortable with, mm. which is probably part of the reason we skip over that piece of Joel. And a third of the Psalms. And yeah. Which a third of the Psalms are Psalms of, of lament. lament. And right? we have disregarded that as an authentic spiritual expression. Exactly. Right, to to our detriment. Exactly. And so this this first chapter is all lament. And then we move on and there's a it, Joel has a little bit of apocalypse in it and a little bit of lament and then it has this section that we know because Peter quotes it in um, in the story of Pentecost, we have the mm. story in the second chapter of Acts, uh, where the Holy Spirit rains down upon the people and they all speak in these foreign languages. And, and no, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock <laughs> in, in the morning. morning. Um, Instead, this is what was prophesied to the prophet Joel, right? Go ahead, yep, sorry. It, yep, the, 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 the spirit shall, uh, I shall pour out my, my spirit, spirit on all, all flesh, flesh. Yes. and your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions and males and females together and your slaves and everybody mm. will be filled with the spirit in the midst of this. Now, then all will prophesy and all will prophesy. All will speak on behalf of God. And then at the, yeah. and the end of the end of that, which is really fascinating to me. And I think I'm going to talk a little bit about that too, is this, is this little piece of apocalyptic that the, mm-hmm. the sun and the moon will be darkened and it's going to rain fire and rivers of blood. And yeah. All, and I'm like, duh, duh, duh. and, um, and for me, at least I think, and usually when I'm, when I'm bumping into apocalypse in, in other places, uh, you gotta, you gotta be able to say, this is not, this is not for telling. It is not mm-hmm. future telling. It is, it is a word of hope. And the word of hope here is the world that you're living in right now is about to be made new. So this place where there's not enough for everybody and people are struggling and you're having a really hard time, God is about to make all of that new. And so that old stuff will be consumed and something new is going to come out of it. Something, uh, a brand new world. Uh, Again, a whole new world. What did we just talk about Aladdin? We did. Uh, Yeah, we did. Anyway. That's a two for one. Wow. See, we are sharing a mind. So anyway, Mm. um, that's paired with this understanding of the spirit coming. So we are... We are in the midst of a stewardship campaign right now. And one of the things that we were talking about was different forms of stewardship. So last week they talked a little bit about stewardship of the self. This week it's stewardship of the church. And next week is stewardship of the world. And mm. I I thought of I thought to myself, what a beautiful vision this is actually of 
what the church can do when you actually use all the gifts that God is pouring out on you, mm. right? This, this, mm-hmm. It's a vision in the midst of what is felt to be scarcity. That's exactly, yep. There is this ridiculous abundance that God is pouring out on the people, but they have to do something with it. It's not just... Um, you know, uh, in heaven, all God's children are going to have shoes. You got to do something with what's being given to you. You have a role to play in what is going to happen down the road. And it's not enough to just be like, wow, isn't that great? I've got this talent. I've got this gift. I've got this money. I've got this passion. You have to actually use those things in a way that's going to remake the world. Oh mm. well, I think I gave away my sermon. I think you may have. But um, spoilers. But I love. But I, lo- I love this passage, and I love it because of that. It it it's such an empowering passage. I think a lot of times in in periods of scarcity, we tend as people, not just Christians, but people in general, to think that there's nothing that we can do. That that we ourselves are suffering from scarcity of spirit, and this passage is a constant reminder that that is not the case, Mm. that we have been given an abundance of gifts and there's always something you can do. Yeah. Right. And, um, and so I was just excited about that. And I was, I was really pleased also to learn a little bit more about Joel and that, that, that background of the, of the famine that explains Mm. so much. Um, and it's a great thing to be able to talk about. Uh, I think it goes back to what you were saying about a lot of a lot of our churches are struggling, and not just in the United Church of Christ, no. right? I'm 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 part of a clergy group, and we were having conversation just this last week about post COVID the fact that not everybody's come back, and no. they're not going to, and not at least not in the ways that they used to. No, they maybe may- not at all. People yeah. have changed churches, switched churches, people have moved, people have or people are kind of done. They haven't restarted it yet. And we don't yeah, we really don't know how it's going to shake out. And that runs up, I'll say, against a lot of our pastor anxieties. Oh, you think? Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> about okay, where is everybody and all these things we used to rely upon. Yeah. To tell us we were doing a good job and quote unquote succeeding aren't there in the same way. Question has always been, should we have been looking to these things for security? Right, again. No. no. But did we? Yes. Yep. And we are in maybe year one of a multi-year recovery. And by recovery, I mean reformation into what's next, not a return to what no, was. No, a transformation of what some What will that sort? look yep. like? We have no idea. Sorry. But no, like, right? no. And to me, but that, it's, there's that's there's a lot exact... of surrender being asked for. Uh, yeah, and that's right? exactly... Required of us. And in a lot of ways, that's what I see in this passage in Joel. There's there's a scarcity, a felt scarcity. A felt scarcity, A felt yes. scarcity and a fear that the people are um, experiencing. And God is saying... Don't look at it that way. Mm. You have been given these gifts. Do something with them. There is there is power that has been given to you. The Holy Spirit has descended. Mm. There is so much at your fingertips. Don't be blinded to what is possible by what you think is out there. So I, I don't know. It's just a it's just a it's just a great story, and it it got me thinking. I I, I think I'm going to start by talking about my first experience um, with this kind of stewardship in the church um, was uh, 
the heyday of vacation Bible school in the seventies mm. and eighties. Yes. In the seventies and eighties, everybody had a VBS. Didn't matter how big your church was. Didn't matter your denomination. I would say even through into the nineties, most even places. Into the, yeah. yeah. I mean, stone cold heyday. And I remember our church. I was. I did a list of the kinds of things that we needed to have people do in order to get VBS off the ground. Mm-hmm. And I, I just kept writing. Like it just, it kept going on and on mm. and on. It was, it was writing scripts and creating costumes and making a set and doing the administrative pieces. And it was music and it was teaching and it was craftiness and it was set up and clean up. I know. And, oh my yeah, it was yeah. Hauling around tables. AV elements. Yep. Yeah. And, that was my first experience, and we were a small church. We are not talking about a large church. We're in rural New York, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like outside of Rochester, cornfields and apple trees. And these people were able to use what God had gifted to them to do some amazing stuff. And I think that experience might be why I am in the church still. Mm. And those those moments when I see it in in churches of all sizes and shapes and forms, and I see it in, in not just in the church I serve right now, uh, and I could tell you a, a number of stories about what I've seen them do since I've been with them the last two years where I went, really? Mm. Wow, mm-hmm. that's amazing the way you all came together to do that. But I see it in other churches in, in, in my neighborhood too, and it makes me happy. Mm. And again, there's a little bit of me that feels competitive at times where I'm like, well, we could do that too. What? But still get stuck in the comparison game. And but the, in my better but, moments, yeah. I can look at it and say, that's the spirit being poured out. It's more out. being fueled by inspiration right. than it is being driven by insecurity and the chan- and, and the need to better somebody. Yes, exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. Because you see ourselves as fundamentally... Uh, in it together. Yeah. And fundamentally in this abundance instead of scarcity. In scarcity, it's a zero-sum game where I better get mine before they get theirs because yep. there's only so much to go around. If they're getting theirs, we're, if they're getting more, we're going to get less. Exactly. And, and in... But in the mindset of abundance is they and we can have this pouring out. One of the things I love about what you're saying, what I'm hearing is that this, even though things are changed, in this time of scarcity... Which is also real. Mm-hmm. And, and in this famine that they were experiencing, there's real suffering, real fear, mm-hmm. right? Much of it very understandable and justified and the rest of it. But if you buy into that sense of scarcity, there is such a fear, but also such a passivity mm. that comes from it. Yeah. Right? It's, I will start to hold on to mine. I will start to do less. I will start to... Yep. And instead, it's actually a call for greater activity, greater generosity, more sharing. Yep. And you will then reveal the abundance that is there. Right? In some ways, it's whether you treat this as a time of scarcity or as a time of abundance, you're right. <laughs> right? Right. Because if you, if you look for signs of scarcity. You'll find them. You'll find them. Oh, yeah. And you will hold on to your stuff and you'll get less and you'll do less and you'll invest less and you'll get back. And you know what? You'll be right. It mm-hmm. will be scarce and you will not get what it. But if you, in the giving, you will discover this, right? If mm-hmm. you treat this as a time of abundance, especially if we're talking spiritually. Yeah. Here, oh, you're yeah. You're talking about the giftedness of all the the spiritual potential yeah. in our congregations it's, it, and what is possible. It's immeasurable. It blows me away. If I'm... we could do it right yeah, it, if we it, could just some of it's b- believing it. that you can do yeah. that and align and when everybody does this there is the the power that is there i mean it's true yeah it is true abundance but 
yeah, again, so it, we have it is, to believe it. Yeah, we, I mean, we have to, we have to take it seriously. We have to believe it, and and um, again, this is not, this is not something that we do in and of ourselves. It is a gift from God. Yes, right, and it and 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 it requires because of that, it requires faith, which is a difficult thing to come by. Sometimes it it it's it's really hard. Um, to say, you know what, that's something we can reach, not because we've got anything special going on, but because God has gifted us and, um, and we can take that risk. We can step out in a little bit of faith. And so, um, we can step out in the famine and do something. It's so hard because sometimes our doing stuff can be really just an attempt to control and make a future driven by our fear of what the future will be if we don't do something and exactly. make it the way we want. Yep. But And that can't be it. But it also can't be, well, then I'll do nothing and sit back and just wait for whatever it turns out to be. Right? Yep. It's calling for us to actively participate in the Reformation and give generously and discover but not, you know, and, and discover what it will be, right? Give generously, participate, and be a part of what this is in this abundance while not thinking that it's all on you to make it <laughs> or that if you participate, you'll be able to control what the it's outcome is. It's such a is. fine line. It is. It, and it, it, and it, as faith often is, right? And, and, and. But if you could control it, this is what we always say. If you can control it, you don't need faith. Yeah. Right? If we can control something, then we don't need faith. Right. We, we just do it. But faith begins where our ability to control it leaves off. Yeah. Right? And if we could control it, we don't even, we would miss where God is leading us. That's it. Because we would be like, oh, I know what I want and where we need to go. And God has something else in mind. Mm. And that is, we don't want to miss that gift. Uh, there is... We talked about this with prayer last week. That prayer can just be another form of that kind of control. Right. Of trying to get God to do what we want in order to make it what we want and use and just another system to be worked, a process to be manipulated, a person to be persuaded, you know, this God on demand system. And and it's not. But faith is really about who we are and what we do when we can't control mm-hmm. or with the stuff we can't control. Mm-hmm. Again, we're back to serenity prayer mm-hmm. language, right? Yep. So we've made our way around and around. And I can see why yes. the, the folks who did the lectionary for this week looked at those two passages, mm. yours from Luke and mine from Joel, and went, yes, they they work well together. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an underlying uh, similarity that adheres them together, and I think it makes sense. Yes. Uh, and, and so when... When you and I were talking about the fact that you're preaching that and I'm preaching Joel, I'm like, oh, yeah, that'll work. We can both go our separate ways, but we'll end up back together again uh, because the uh, the lectionary guys don't always get it right. Sometimes I look at what they have put together and go, really? But this one, if this there's one connections, works. I can't see them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or it's just sort of, well, this was what this is the leftover week. Yeah, where you this got... is the leftover <laughs> week. Yeah. Well, you got a bunch of <laughs> bunch of stuff from a lot of different meals that all got thrown into this week. <laughs> And it's eclectic, uh, it's eclectic is, is right. Um, I, oh. I do, I will say one of the times, you know, among the times when I truly love being able to do what we do and being a part of a community like this, uh, part of what brings me back to 
why I was doing this in the first place and what called me to it is how incredibly insightful these ancient texts are and how immediate they are and how powerful they are and how directly they address exactly what's going wrong in us, in our churches, in the world, uh, and just how important it is that we attend to those things. Like this is really where it meets, Mm -hmm. right? And this is a real privilege to be, you know, to be at a, to be part of that connection. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank and, you. And thank you all for, for listening and for being here. Um, I'm not sure exactly what next week will bring. Hopefully it will be something and something good. But you'll hear Paige the week after that uh, when we're back together. Yep, I right? will not be here next week. I will be, uh, as I was telling Aaron, in lovely and exotic Baraboo, mm. uh, Wisconsin, for a wedding of a friend. Actually, I'm, I, I'm not just going. I'm actually performing. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I have to be there. Um, but yes, and Aaron said we're they were definitely missing an opportunity in in the Halloween season not to have a Baraboo fest. And I laughed You've, more than I should more have. More than I, the dad, <laughs> it's so true. Dad jokes do get paid. In case you were wondering, every time Paige gets dad gets dad jokes and dad jokes get paid. Uh, but that, that that is an an inconjable missed opportunity. It really, like, uh, oversight, really like, unforgivable <laughs> oversight to not have a Baraboo festival at <gasps> Devil's Lake. Oh, at who knows? Maybe they do. Yeah, I don't even know. Well, travel safely. Thank you. We'll see you when you return. Indeed. And we will see you when we see you. And in the meantime, be well. Thanks for spending Take this care. time with us. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye bye.